1: real noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: Hello and welcome to Curious Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Late in the evening of October 6th, 1894, in the Parkdale neighborhood of Toronto, a white, middle-class, 18-year-old named Frank Westwood was shot by an unknown assailant. He died three days later. In a bizarre and complicated series of events, the police eventually arrested 33-year-old Clara Ford, a working-class single mother who happened to be black and also happened to dress in men's clothes. What ensued was a sensational trial that captured the imagination of Canadians across the country. And while all of this occurred in the late 19th century, it is a story that encompasses themes all too familiar today. Themes such as racism, gender identity, sexuality, and police brutality. This is... Season 8, Episode 11, Clara Ford, and the Parkdale murder that excited a nation. For today's story, I decided to bring in an expert to help us sort of parcel out the approach to this incredible tale. That expert is Dr. Carolyn Weitzman. Dr. Weitzman is a housing and social policy consultant, and she is an expert advisor to the Housing Assessment Resource Tools HART project based at the University of British Columbia, which is developing standardized best practices for housing needs, land, and acquisition assessments using detailed open data. Carolyn is the author, co-author, or lead editor of six books, over 100 book chapters, peer-reviewed articles, and major reports. She has provided expertise to national, state, provincial, and local governments, United Nations Women, United Nations Habitat, and private and nonprofit organizations. But for the purposes of today, Dr. Weitzman has recently published a book, and it's called Clara at the Door with a Revolver, and this was published by UBC Press this year. And this is the book recommendation for the episode. I began our discussion by asking Dr. Weitzman, what was the status of Black Canadians at the end of the 19th century?
1: Right. So I think the way I characterize it in the book is that Canada was a temporary and contingent refuge for um, certainly for Black refugees from the U.S., um, there had been slavery in Canada. I think um, The Hanging of Angelique by Fu Cooper does a really good job of uh, talking about that. Um, when uh, Ontario, then called Upper Canada, was formed, um, uh, it was led by Governor Simcoe, who was uh, anti-slavery. He came up with a remarkably mealy-mouthed... Uh, um, Uh, compromise which phased out slavery. As it turned out, slavery phased out about the time that it was abolished in the British Empire, 1834. So there's no doubt that Canada had a history of um, vicious racism and enslavement. However, it was safer uh, in the early uh, 19th century for um, Black people in about 17,000 Um, uh, people came up from the U.S. and settled, mostly in Western Ontario. Um, There were 500 um, uh, Black people in uh, the census in 1861, which was the year that Clara was born. There were also 500 people in uh, 1891, when uh, Toronto had grown from a city of about... 60,000 to a city of uh, 250,000. So there was a Black presence. Um, uh, There were some people who did very well indeed. Uh, Wilson Abbott uh, was a successful land developer. His son became a famous doctor who um, uh, helped in the the Civil War. Um, William Hubbard in the 1890s, about the time of the trial, was deputy mayor. Uh, He was Black. Um, So there were examples of um, uh, Black people hitting the middle class. The vast majority of Black people, however, were um, working class, uh, strongly ghettoized, um, and um, in general, very uh, um, subject to the same kinds of um, racist harassment and and threats. Um, And I include a quote from John A. MacDonald, uh, again, from the early 1860s, saying, Um, that uh, if there wasn't the death penalty for rape um, there would be widespread violence by black men against white women and um, uh, then there might be lynching and so we need the death penalty for rape so there was a lot of those kinds of really um, harmful and hurtful stereotypes um, and black people had a lot of um, scrutiny uh, cast on them and and that's very much exemplified in uh, Clara's story.
0: Um, So then who who was Clara Ford?
1: Clara was a uh, woman who spent most of her life until the age of 33 when she was uh, arrested and charged with murder in Toronto. She spent a few times going to the U.S. in search of employment, uh, as many Canadians did at the time. Uh, She was a tailoress, a very skilled um, uh, um, worker, but she quite often couldn't find work as a tailoress. Uh, She was um, the daughter of a single mother, uh, a white woman. Um, There were a bunch of lies told about, at least I argue that there are lies in the book, uh, told about her parentage, that her um, uh, foster mother uh, took her in uh, as an act of charity. I very much doubt that's true. Uh, She was a strong Resourceful, smart, uh, well read uh, person, and very musical. Um, After the trial, she became uh, a, uh, she joined the first all black uh, vaudeville troupe and became a dancer. So, a woman of many skills, a woman of extreme poverty, um, uh, someone um, uh, looked at with. Disdain and labeled a lot because she was mixed race, because she was um, uh, sometimes uh, seen in men's clothes, uh, that is, wearing pants, um, and because uh, as the daughter of a single mother and herself, the daughter, uh, the mother of two uh, daughters without a man in sight, very, very suspect to the 19th century.
0: Um that's really fascinating. I, I wonder if you could expand a little bit more on this this wearing men's clothes aspect of her. What 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 did you what did you pull from that from that sort of story about in regards to this sort of uh, this gender sort of cha- this challenge to traditional gender roles of the time?
1: It's so frustrating for me because all we have are Clara's words as translated by her friends and she told a lot of different stories to her friends. So it would appear that she lived as a man for a period of time in her teens in the United States. We don't have any direct evidence for that. We just have stories. When she was arrested, she had um, pants and um, uh, a jacket, uh, men's pants and a jacket, which she said she picked up at a pawn shop and which she wore occasionally in order to feel um, safer uh, in uh, the streets. Because she, um, uh, she was, uh, Frank Westwood, the murder victim, um, lived for a short period after he was shot, uh, and he said he'd been attacked by a man. Uh, the police were delighted to find a men's suit of clothes, and that meant that they could charge Clara six weeks later. Hmm. Um, the newspapers went wild. Uh, and actually, the first mention that I have found of a homosexual, that the term homosexual in a North American universe, uh, North American newspaper was um, uh, part of a um, two page spread on uh, Clara's alleged uh, perversions. Um, and it was much more about Clara, Um, being what we call today transgender than about um, uh, Clara uh, being attracted to women. Um, So uh, Clara said at the time uh, that there was a journalist in uh, Toronto, Vic Steinberg, who wore men's clothes in order to uh, carry out um, investigative journalism in bars and in baseball games and argued that it didn't make her any less of a woman wearing men's clothes. However, um, the uh, othering of Clara, the the creation of this stereotype of a monster, uh, was very much tied with the notion of um, uh, challenging uh, the gender roles of the time.
0: Yeah, I think that's a a really fascinating aspect of this story. Uh, not just that uh, she she's she's a black Canadian, but also that there's sort of this this and I, I, specifically that w- what you point out this reference to a homosexual in in a newspaper article is very very interesting for the for the late 19th century. That type of language seems so much more the the century to follow than the 19th century. You know, in sort of a public kind of context.
1: Throughout the writing of the book, and indeed from the very origins of the book, I was struck by how relevant Clara's story was to events 125 years later from Black Lives Matters, because a lot of uh, Clara's successful defense was that the police had manipulated her into a false confession. Um, uh, Definitely Uh, uh, Me Too, because uh, uh, there were claims of sexual assault associated with murder um, and very much ignored claims. Um, There were um, all kinds of relevance to um, issues today around um, racism, around stereotypes, around um, poor single moms, uh, etc. So uh, it it was... um, unfortunately extremely resonant some things have changed a lot hasn't changed
0: yeah and that's a great that's what makes the story like you said that's really what makes the story pop out is just how much how much how how many themes we are dealing with uh, you know and and how many issues we are still dealing with like you said 125 years later so let's tackle the trial let's tackle what kind of made this event occur what describe to me what occurs and 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 how it leads to a trial if you don't mind
1: yeah, the simple timeline is that uh, Frank is shot on uh, October 8th, 1894 and dies um, three days later. There's an inquest that finds murder by a person or persons unknown. Um, six weeks later, due to a tip by the person who was the main suspect, the next door neighbor of uh, Frank, um, the next door neighbor Frank, in turn, um, uh, mentioned a woman who'd been um, uh, living in a, the stables in the back of the house uh, for several years, Clara Ford, um, uh, a, a tumbling succession of um, uh, evidence um, at least circumstantial shows up against Clara she's arrested Um, there's a media frenzy uh, and uh, she's indicted and then there's a little bit of a a pause uh, because in those days serious uh, um, cases like murder had to wait for um, the assizes, which was a special court to meet. So um, about six months later, her trial takes place. Um, The most famous lawyers of the day are uh, lined up. Um, both for the prosecution, the Crown, um, uh, uh, B.B. Osler, uh, who is uh, the most famous trial lawyer of his day and sort of the second most uh, famous trial lawyer of his day, Um, E.F.B. Johnson, is lined up on Clara's uh, defense. Uh, The judge is also quite a famous judge, although uh, not a um, a criminal judge, as shows in the trial. And, uh, you know, all of the newspapers are... um, uh, uh, the trial lasts four days, which sounds incredibly short mm-hmm. in 21st century terms, but was actually very, very long for the 19th century when most murder trials lasted a day. Um, Clara is acquitted. There's no like surprise about this. I mentioned it, in, I think, the first page. Uh, And um, is forced to leave uh, Toronto after the trial. So that's sort of the, the, the timeline. There's a lot of precedence set in this case. It was just around that time that people were allowed to testify on their own behalf. Um, For the first time there were changes to the criminal code so Clara becomes the first woman, second person to testify uh, on her own behalf and her testimony was key to her acquittal. And as I say, she argued that the police, she gave great detail about how the police forced her into a false confession and was believed by the jury.
0: Curious Canadian history. We'll be back after the break. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. Well, that, uh, that's, I mean, that's really interesting that this is sort of the beginning of, of people being allowed to sort of testify on their own behalf. So uh, what was the relationship be- between Clara and the murder victim? So she was living in an adjacent building to the house?
1: Yes, so it's it's complicated. Um, okay, yeah, uh, of course. The, the Westwood family had moved into Parkdale in 1891. There was a big economic slump going uh, on there, and they got a, a quite nice uh, house. It was called a mansion. It wasn't a mansion, but it was a very nice house just on the lake shore. This was of course long before the expressway went through the lakeshore in uh toronto uh and they were uh, avid boaters and in fact benjamin westwood frank's father um, manufactured boats so um it was a perfect location for them when they moved in in 1891 uh they found out uh, to their mm, discomfort that next door there was a family called the clarks also like the Westwoods, liberals um uh, uh certainly middle class but declining partly because the paterfamilias um john clark was uh dying slowly of kidney disease um and uh, there were nine children all quite um like 21 and less uh and uh, as was common unfortunately in the 19th century by the time he died he just left behind debts now, dur- sometime during the time um, between about 1891 when the Westwoods moved in and um, 1893, uh, uh, Frank, this 13 um, uh, year old boy, when the that, uh, in 1891, is living uh, next door to uh, Clara, a 33 year old woman, because Clara and her mother and her two daughters had moved into the stables behind the Clark family uh in exchange for housekeeping uh and um uh Clara was in the Clark house a lot and had apparently a heated altercation with um Frank when he was in his early teens about um some slandering of the Clark girls Um, So there's some letters and there's a whole bunch of drama. It seems established that Frank and Clara hated one another's guts. Um, And as I also look in the book um, at um, some just some harassment, there's no other word for it, that Frank and his friends uh, racial harassment and sexual harassment um, that um, uh that Frank uh, did against uh, Clara and her family. Eventually, uh, Clara's mother got sick. Uh, Clara had to move back downtown to the sort of slum then known as the ward. Um, but Clara continued to go back to Parkdale um, uh, because her church was there. She, she was a um, strong Anglican. And um, she had a good relationship with the pastor who um, uh, testified on her behalf. And in Clara's alleged uh, confession, she said that Frank had tried to sexually assault her in the summer of 1894 and that she'd returned in October to exact revenge for this um, attempted rape.
0: Okay. That's really interesting. And so when she was finally able to take the stand, could you, could you expand a little more on kind of what she said to what, what, what some of the key points that she sort of presented to tip the, tip the scales in her favor?
1: It's really interesting. My brother is a defense lawyer and I was talking to him while I was writing, um, the book, uh, In some ways, the accused had more rights in the late 19th century than they do today. So Clara didn't have a right to have a lawyer show up. You'd have to pay for a lawyer. There was no like legal aid or anything like that. But usually what would happen when the police um, suspected you of a serious crime is that they would arrest you have minimal discussion with you, and then keep you until the next morning when you appeared before the magistrate and you were arraigned for a trial. Uh, In this case, the police picked uh, Clara up uh, at around 3 p.m. and uh, kept her in the police station without access, well, without telling her she was arrested, without access to a friend, uh, which would have been common or a relative, um, until 11 o'clock when she confessed. So that was eight hours. Um, very unusual for the time a number of lawyers weighed in and said she um, shouldn't have been held in that way again there wasn't sort of the reading of the rights or anything like that but without um, uh, giving her well access to a lawyer through appearing at the magistrate's court the next day so Clara um, gave some examples of how the police were trying to manipulate her into a confession
0: that's uh that's really fascinating i mean it certainly shows that clara had quite a wherewithal to be able to sort of argue in a court of law i mean i could only imagine myself trying to go in a court of law today and try to make an argument on my behalf and how much i'd fail because uh, of not understanding the legal system and yet clara is able to sort of stand up and, and and actually sort of win the case on her behalf i think that's phenomenal I
1: call that chapter the performance of her life and I spend a lot of time on her testimony, partly because it's the closest we're going to get to Clara directly speaking to us. It's the closest to her accurately reported words. um, And partly because she gave a great performance. She made the audience, the jury, laugh. She um, brought the jury round to her side by saying, I'm just this working woman and the police, who were not in very good repute in the 19th century, um, were acting in a, um, a manner that was completely unacceptable for men to treat women. Now, we can get into the whole question of chivalry and the question of, you know, how women were actually treated, but you're not supposed to be alone with a woman two men, three women locked door. No one can see in for a long period of time. And the jury went, yep, yeah, that's really unacceptable.
0: That's extremely fascinating. So she's found found not guilty. Um, now, one of the interesting things I, I find about your book, though, is that you talk about the way her story is remembered. So actually, before we do that, so why don't we talk about the rest of her life and then we'll talk about the way the story is remembered. So what happens to Clara after the trial and how does her sort of life unfold from then?
1: Well, we know very little about her uh, life, but we know that she um, had always been interested in the theater. Her alibi for the night of the murder was that she'd been at the theater. um, And there was this, um, Uh, pioneering black vaudeville uh, troupe uh, called Sam T. Jack's Creole Company. It was owned by a white man. Uh, Sam T. Jack was white, Um, but it had many of the early um, forerunners of uh, jazz, gospel, um, uh, um, comedy, um, uh, etc., and had a um, uh, host, uh, uh, Florence Hine, who was a um, not just a, a male impersonator, in other words, a woman wearing men's clothes, but also. Um, was almost uh, wearing white face, not literally wearing white face, but um, her persona was a rich white young man, which I found fascinating. So the last we know of uh, Clara, really, is that she went off to join the vaudeville, which is, again, a very gutsy move for a 33-year-old woman, you know, to decide, I'm going to start a new career as a dancer. I mean, she just was an amazing... uh, I was fascinated by Clara, um, that's sort of her life after uh, the trial, but you were leading into something,
0: I believe. Oh yeah, well, because now, I, what what was interesting is, of course, how this is all remembered. And there's a guy, there's a there's a man you mentioned, Hector Charlesworth, and perhaps you could wrap him into how this whole story does get remembered.
1: Hector is my villain of the piece. So Hector was a young journalist. He was a very ambitious journalist. He, even at the age of 23, had already worked for two other newspapers, including uh, Saturday Night Magazine, which was just starting up then. He worked for a paper called The World. It was a tabloid. He was trying to boost uh, the um, uh, the circulation by any means necessary. He made up so many stories about Clara. He was the person who did the two-day, four-page uh, spread about um, Clara being a homo-sexual. Um, and then he wrote his memoirs in the 20s. He went on to be uh, fairly well-known theater critic Uh, and in his memoirs there are three pages devoted to um, the Clara Ford trial containing 12 demonstrable lies in them Uh, and that's a version that everyone who's referred to Clara uh, from that point forward from the 20s forward um, uses. Um, So for instance he says that she was having an affair with um, Frank and got jealous and that's why she shot him. Uh, he says that she went around bragging about the murder first to uh, pickpocket um, Gus Clark who actually was her uh, former landlord and um, and was a, a thief but no way was she bragging to him. She hated his guts. Um, she's He said that she went out on the stage afterwards and bragged about Frank's murder again we would know if she'd done that she did not do that um so that's the version that's made it into um uh uh, there's been one book written about the case there's been a couple of articles written um there's been a lot of like every once in a while it crops up in newspapers or in uh websites you know look at this amazing murder from 1895 and they're all relying on that completely made up stuff by a viciously racist, um, you know, it, it, again, a very contemporary theme, fake news. He was, he was Fox news. He was fake news.
0: Wow. Um, what, like, did he have an ax to grind or was this just sort of like a story that he felt he would sort of build his career on by like completely, you know, lying about stuff and creating the sensationalism around it?
1: Well, both. Um, Even by the standards of his time, his father had been a politician uh, who, like John A. MacDonald, supported the South in the U.S. Civil War. Uh, He grew up in Windsor, which was one of the crossing points for the Underground Railroad, and he says in his memoir, I saw black people and I was really scared um, when he was growing up uh, before he moved to Toronto. Uh So he was a vicious racist, but also he was a very, very ambitious journalist and he was doing what he could to boost ratings another little stunt that he pulled was about a week after the murder, he sent some clippings to Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, and said, um, you know, uh, we need Sherlock Holmes to uh, solve this mystery. And Arthur Conan Doyle, a very polite man, wrote this uh, letter back saying, I can't really come to any opinion. Thank you. Uh, And that was front page headlines. Even Sherlock Holmes is stumped um so wow. you know i'm going to give him point for cleverness but um but again you know there was a book written in 1970 about author conan doyle detective and it mentions you know the clara case and says um you know uh, the the story is taken from the uh, hector charlesworth memoirs all of the lies that i just detailed so um he was very successful at um uh, slandering uh, libeling um
0: clara I guess th- this is a, a kind of more of a historiographical question, but has there been any, besides your book, has there been any other serious attempts to sort of liberate the story from that narrative?
1: There was a book written 15 years ago uh, called Death in the Queen City that mostly focuses on the trial and doesn't show much interest in Clara herself. Um, And in that book, there are a couple of the Charlesworth uh, lies, uh, although the book does a very good job of talking about the legal context. It's written by a legal historian, Patrick Brode. Um, As I mentioned towards the end of the book, there is a wonderful um, piece of art, a a sculpture made by a, a Black artist named Anique Jordan that um, tries to give a new view of Clara as, you know, a stubborn survivor, which I'd say is my view of Clara. I'm not going to say she's a hero. I'm not going to say she was a civil rights activist. She was doing everything she could do to survive. And she had an arsenal. She was smart. She was funny. She was articulate. She was brave. Um, And that's what saved her from being hanged.
0: Uh, yeah, that's I mean, that's and that that leads us into our, our final question. And I think there's a lot <laughs> to talk to answer to this. But I mean, what kind of legacy does Clara's story provide? First of all, in h- how we understand race in Canada, the history of black Canadians, but I think there's gender issues or sexuality issues and things like that. So I know this is a big question, but perhaps tackle the What kind of legacy comes out of all of this? Do you think understanding it from a modern day perspective, especially?
1: Well, I think that people who read the book will be interested in several aspects of it. I mean, as you say, it it brings together a lot of threads. Um, The question of um, policing, um, uh, questions around um, the rights of the accused, uh, questions around gender and sexuality that I wish I could answer in some ways but you know all I can do is depend on Clara's words right. um so I you know I don't know how Clara would have today identified
0: right yeah
1: gender. um uh there's certainly I think one of the things that really attracted me to Clara is I've always been fascinated by social history. I've always been interested in how how single moms survived. What did they pay for rent? What did they eat? You know, how did they manage with insecure employment? And to have a you know amazing, colorful, fascinating, three dimensional character like Clara help me answer those questions was part of what drew me to the story. Absolutely, the murder mystery aspect of it is going to interest people, but I want to really stress that this isn't a novel. A couple of people have congratulated me on my novel, and it's like, all dialogue guaranteed true, you know, or at least all guar- all dialogue guaranteed from newspapers, which may or may not be true. Um, it is such a fascinating story. It is one of those cases where truth is way more interesting than fiction. And um, I, I hope that readers will, and and like people who don't usually read social history, will be attracted to it, learn more about Canada's often hidden past um and and question that you know self-image that canada still has as a nice country you know um it's not nasty it's not nice there's a lot of really vexed history around uh racism and around um treatment of the other that i think um clara helps unpack
0: I want to thank you all for listening today. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at DocBoris. That's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Patreon. And you can find us on all podcast listening devices. And please do not hesitate to write and leave a comment. We love to hear from you. I'm David Boris. Stay curious, friends.